The Guardian. There are currently an estimated 1.8 billion young people in the world, the biggest cohort of young people ever, with nearly 9 out of 10 of them living in developing countries. In 2012, London hosted a summit that set the agenda for family planning up to 2020. For a long time, adolescents have not featured prominently on the development agenda, but increasingly, there's a realisation that their futures depend on being able to plan their families. So if we are not giving uh, information to young boys and girls, then they don't get the knowledge and empowerment they need to make right decisions. And of course, it, uh, it affects the livelihood of the girl and the babies that they are giving birth to. In 2016 alone, 82 million unintended pregnancies, 25 million unsafe abortions and 124,000 maternal deaths were averted due to the use of modern effective methods of family planning. But despite this, many people in the world still can't count on access to contraception. And now, many countries are about to face additional problems as the US cuts funding. I'm Lucy Lamble, and this month on the Global Development Podcast, ahead of the second London Family Planning Summit, we're looking at how these challenges will affect the growing population of young people in the developing world, and consequently, the economy of their countries. At the 2012 London Summit, some of the world's richer countries pledged 2.6 billion over the next eight years, and FP2020 was set up to monitor that promise. Beth Schlachter is their executive director. In 2012, building on the excitement um, from the London Summit, the global community set the goal of expanding access to contraception so that 120 million additional women and girls in the world's 69 lowest income countries would be able to use contraception. And by that we mean that they would have access to a range of high quality products, that they would have healthcare services that consider their needs and are based on high quality um, information, on counseling sessions that really work with women to determine what their needs are and what would best suit their purposes. Julia Bunting is from the Population Council. When you give a woman or a, uh, a young person the right to determine freely and for themselves whether, when and how many children to have, then their life chances are transformed. They don't have unintended pregnancies, they're not at much risk of uh, unsafe abortions and maternal mortality. We see that they choose to have fewer children and to invest more in those children. So those children have greater life chances, they're likely to be more healthy, they have more years of education and they're more likely to be productive in the labour force. And when we see this happen at an aggregate level, the choices of many individuals happening, then we see real benefits for countries in terms of their economic growth and development, as well as things like security and stability. That's what's known as the demographic dividend. How does that work? The demographic dividend is a phenomenon that occurs when there is increased access to contraception that leads to reductions in fertility and that creates a change in the population age structure. So what we see is that there are fewer young people and more people of working age. And when we get that dependency ratio, the number of young people to working age people, when that reduces, what we see is a real opportunity for economic growth because there are more people working. Now for that to come to be, it's not just that you need to increase access to contraception, 
You also need to increase human capital, improve people's health and education, and you need to implement policies around labour and employment and trade. And the demographic dividend is a very real phenomenon and we've seen it happening in countries around the world. So if you just take some of the examples, for example the Asian tigers, the East Asian tigers are countries like South Korea and Taiwan and Singapore. They experienced the demographic dividend between the 19, late 1960s and the 1990s and the economic miracle that we saw in those countries was in part a result of these investments and they estimate that about a third of that economic growth was a result of harnessing the demographic dividend. FB 2020 publishes a report every year looking at the progress across the 69 countries they target. Where we've seen considerable progress is in a lot of the difficult work that has to take place for governments to provide um, programs to meet the needs of their, of their citizens. So a lot of the work that we do as well is around social norms and around expanding um, the understanding within communities for why women should have access to products that give them control over the most intimate part of their lives. So we do a lot of work to help women understand what contraception is, to help communities support women having access to that, with the understanding that as women have more autonomy, as they have healthier lives, as they have healthier um, children at birth, and then are able to support them through um, early childhood, that we then have healthier families, stronger economics in uh, local communities, and potential for growth overall economically in countries. So family planning is one of those interesting areas of work where both sort of human rights and economics uh, come together in a really interesting and challenging way. So we have to look at both sides of it, both the technical, the bureaucratic, the delivery side, as well as the human side of healthcare and need for individual people. Global Development Deputy Editor Liz Ford travelled to Uganda, where sex education is under great pressure. Start by giving your name and so um, my name is Ali Kaviri. Uh, I'm a youth rights and women's campaigner uh, in Uganda. I'm a women deliver, young leader, and I'm also the World Contraception Day ambassador uh, from Uganda. And what about sex education in Uganda? Is is it taught in schools? I would give you my experience. Um, like I only got to know about sex education, maybe just few phrases during bio biological okay biologic lessons where we draw the female reproductive organ uh, where <coughs> uh, we would draw uh, let me say uh, a female reproductive system uh, uh, a male reproductive system and then have discussions and all that mm -hmm. but in terms of uh, sex sexuality education or comprehensive sexuality education uh, right now, as we even have this conversation, it's banned. That means organizations cannot even take this sort of whatever message to young people. Uh, young people now, uh, you know, are just uh, wandering on their own. In Uganda, many believe that young people should not be educated about sex, but instead be taught to abstain. Yet adolescents are having sex. According to the country's 2016 Demographic and Health Survey, a quarter of girls aged 15 to 19 have had a baby or are pregnant. Annette Churimpa Mukabe is the coordinator of Safe Motherhood with Reproductive Health Uganda. Uganda has one of the highest teenage pregnancies in the world. 
estimated at 25%. And one of the contributing factors is lack of access to family planning, uh, cultural and traditional barriers that inhibit young girls from talking about uh, sexuality issues, but also the environment in which young people uh, access sexual and productive health services is not very conducive. Annette Nabizizi is a volunteer for Reproductive Health Uganda in Mbali. I dropped from school because of unwanted pregnancy. I am a mother who passed through very painful condition. I was 16 years. I gave birth on 17 years. I feel so bad for the young ones, the younger girls. At least I cancel. I try to cancel them, not to be like me. So Annette, if your 15-year-old uh, daughter came up to you and wanted to talk to you or ask about taking um, contraception, what would you say or what would you do? I first cancel her. But if she do insist, I give the method. How, how would you feel about, um, about giving her something like that? I feel very bad. I feel bad. I feel bad because RSX is not good. But what would compel you to give her, the, give her what she wanted? Because she might get pregnant. And uh, when she's still in school. What now this means for us as young people, and especially we've been uh, uh, saying uh, a lot in terms of increasing access to information so that we can make informed choices in life. We're going to see many young girls, uh, you know, deferred. Uh, we're going to have uh, so many. Um, uh, let's say girls drop out of school due to pregnancy related cases, due to child marriages, due to so quite a number of things and that means has a bearing of course to the economy, that means you are having child families that cannot be able to um, to support uh, and we shall, our people shall continue to live in poverty for many years to come. In January this year, President Trump reinstated the Mexico City policy, also known as the Global Gag Rule, which bars any overseas organization receiving US aid from mentioning abortion in their work. In April, the US administration also cut funding to the United Nations Population Fund. Julia Bunting again. We actually have decades of evidence around what works in family planning and decades of evidence that really shows the many and multiple benefits it's absolutely clear that decision being put forward by the Trump administration to reduce uh, their commitments to, to international family planning but to broader global health and development are going to be devastating. We know that when the Mexico City policy has been enacted in the past under previous Republican administrations that it's led to reductions in services and to closures in clinics. And this version uh, under President Trump is, is even bigger than that. We're talking now about dramatic reductions in funding, uh, not just in family planning, but also across global health and development. And we expect that the results will be devastating for, for women and men and young people around the world. Uganda may well be one of the countries affected. I so happen to be uh, a chair 
of uh, the African Youth and Adolescent um, Network on Population and Development, which is largely coordinated by UNFPA. And there's a lot of support that we are receiving from UNFPA that aimed at reaching out to youth groups, ensuring that we have uh, access to you know, family planning information and services, uh, to ensure that there's uh, support for our you know, comprehensive sexuality education, there's, uh, you know, support for, you know, aimed at, you know, saving mothers from dying, saving young mothers, you know, contracting fistula, uh, and so many other, you know, issues. So that alone has uh, a, big, a very big uh, impact on women's uh, reproductive choices, and it's going to really affect especially young people in Uganda that are heavily uh, you know, affected in this country. The US announcement leaves a big funding gap, which means that national governments will now have to think hard about prioritising family planning in their budgets. What we're going to have to do is also see if our development partners in countries can do more as well to meet some of their need. UNFPA provides contraceptives in a number of countries, but they also provide technical assistance. And that's where we really need to make sure that um, people are on the ground to help developing countries to build their, um, their capacities to expand their own programs. So it's those partnerships and efficiencies therein that are one of the areas that we're going to have to look at in order to be able to maintain the programs we have and to grow them for the future. How are people on the ground going to get around this? Ali Kaviri again. Uh, through the Women Deliver, uh, you know, uh, program and, and specifically through the World Contraception Day project, that's a partnership between Women Deliver and Bayer, uh, together with Youth Advocates, I've been supported to launch, uh, let me say, a maiden sort of platform in this country, and that's the Youth ESRHR website. You can access it online. Uh, it has. Uh, we are trying to ease information access to young people. Uh, we have uh, a broadcast radio, which is integrated within the website, and it's purely broadcasting information around uh, family planning. There's a page where you can be able to, to learn about, you know, basically about family planning. You can even be able to access some youth corners that we've been able to list. Uh, you can be able to, uh, to, to, to have an interface with experts. There are quite a number of uh, non-government organizations that are providing uh, youth-friendly services, but this is limited in terms of number, geographical coverage, and the reach for young people. So I, I think it's important for government to have youth-friendly services in the public health facilities uh, that will address the stigma, but it will create space for young people, space in terms of uh, physical infrastructure, having uh, trained staff in providing youth-friendly services, uh, but also uh, at community level to be able to address the cultural and traditional barriers that stop young girls from uh, demanding and using family sexual reproductive health services. As stakeholders prepare to meet at the 2017 summit this summer, Beth Schlachter believes that now more than ever, the global community must pull together. So I think the summit comes at a perfect time because it allows us to plan together how we're going to work together smarter and more effectively going forward, recognizing that this is a period of transition and uncertainty.
So it's a really positive moment for pulling the community together to say, you know, we've been working on family planning for 50 years. We've weathered different kinds of transitions before. We're a strong sector. We know the work that we need to do. Now let's just get on with it and let's make sure that we're working the partnership in a way that keeps everybody um, together and making those decisions that are going to allow us to advance. That's all for this month's Global Development Podcast. You can hear all our podcasts on theguardian.com forward slash global hyphen development or your favourite podcasting app. I'm Lucy Lamble and the producer is Carrie Stewart. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.